For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Themes of the Feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost. This is part three of the series. Shavuot is associated with a wedding, and specifically a betrothal. How can we see this? In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousal. The word espousal here is the Strong's number 3623. It's the Hebrew word kalula, which means betrothal or espousal. When you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. In order to understand what betrothal is, we need to understand the characteristic of the biblical marriage. There are two stages of a biblical marriage. The first stage is betrothal. And this happened with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Betrothal is you are legally married, but you do not physically dwell with your spouse. When you physically dwell with your spouse in being married, this is the consummation and completion of the marriage, and it is called Nesuin in Hebrew. When is the Messiah going to physically dwell with his people? During the Messianic era. He's going to be teaching the nations Torah from Jerusalem. How can we furthermore see that a marriage took place at Mount Sinai? Well, there has to be a wedding proposal. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 3 and verse 5, we can see the proposal that the God of Israel makes to the nation of Israel. Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Now therefore, here's the proposal. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is is mine. That was the proposal. Was the proposal accepted? It's accepted in Exodus chapter 19 verse 8. The house of Jacob says, I do. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. In this marriage, you have to have a marriage contract which specifies the terms and the conditions of the 
marriage. Therefore, at Mount Sinai, it is understood and seen that the ketubah or the marriage contract is the Torah. The God of Israel offered the Torah to the people as a contract. If you will obey, these blessings will come. If you don't obey, then it will result in these problems in our marriage. And one of the problems he said that would come about would be you're going to be separated from me. You will be exiled into the nation. Moses is the escort of the bride, which is the nation of Israel, the house of Jacob, to Mount Sinai, which is personified as being a hoopah. The wedding takes place underneath a hoopah. We can see this from the terminology used in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people, he's escorting them, out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. Where it uses the word nether, the nether part of the mount in the King James, it's the Strong's number 8482, and it is the Hebrew word takti. This word means the low, the lower, the lowest, or the lowest parts. So they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. The imagery is that Mount Sinai is the hoopah, and they're standing at the lowest part of the mountain, or in other words, they're standing underneath the hoopah. So here, the imagery is Mount Sinai is likened unto a hoopah. If we want to look at another theme of the Feast of Pentecost or Shavuot, let's look at Midrash Rabbah, Genesis 56, section 9, and making a comment regarding Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, where Abraham offers up Isaac. And what we're going to end up seeing is how this event is going to be associated with one of the themes of Shavuot in the event that happened at Mount Sinai. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram. The Hebrew word where it's translated behind him is achar, which is the Strong's number 310. And actually, if you look at the definition of achar, it can mean afterwards or after the following event. And a word that's associated with achar is acharit, which means the end. Therefore, the word achar could mean, could be translated, so behold, afterward or in the future. Abraham was being shown something thing that was happening then right after he had done something but it was alluding to something in the future. So the rabbinical commentary once again from Midrash Rabbah Genesis 56 in section 9 said Rabbi Judan after all that happened Israel still fall into the clutches of sin and in consequence become the victims of persecution yet they will ultimately be redeemed by a ram's horn as it says, and the Lord God will blow the horn from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 14. Continuing on in Midrash Rabbah, Genesis 56 in section 9, Rabbi Abba ben Rabbi Papai and Rabbi Joshua of Sikmen and Rabbi Lavi's name said, because of the patriarch Abraham saw the ram extricate himself from one thicket and go and become entangled in another, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, so will your children be entangled in countries changing from Babylon to Media, from Media to Greece, and from Greece to Edom or Rome, yet they will eventually be redeemed by the ram's horn, as it is written, and the Lord God will blow the horn, the Lord of hosts will defend them. Zechariah chapter 9 verses 14 and 15. What is understood that's happening from Abraham
Abraham offering up Isaac and the ram being caught in the thicket. The thicket represents sin or the sins of the people. And as a result of the sins of the people, they were exiled in the nations of the world. And being exiled in the nations of the world, they got entangled like the ram did in the thicket with the persecutions that those nations brought upon them. But the horn was caught in the thicket. And then what we're going to see is that the horn of the ram is going to represent the redemption from being caught in the thicket. The left horn of Abraham's ram that was caught in the thicket is seen as being blown at Mount Sinai. Genesis chapter 22 verse 13 says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, Achar, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. In Exodus chapter 19 verses 18 and 19 it says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, so it seemed that the shofar is being blown here, which is associated with the voice of the God of Israel, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. The left horn of that ram is seen as being blown as we just saw there at Mount Sinai but the right horn is seen as being blown in association with the messianic redemption or the end of the exile of Jacob from all the nations where they've been scattered which is associated with the messianic era. The ram of Isaac which was caught in the thicket and sacrificed in place of Isaac had two horns. The God of Israel blew upon the left horn on Mount Sinai when the Torah was revealed. The right horn was greater than the left one. In the future, the God of Israel will blow upon it when he brings back the exiles, that is, the house of Jacob scattered in all the nations, to the land of Israel. This commentary comes from Pirkei, the sayings of Rabbi Eliezer, chapter 31. And the specifications for this season and these events, we're told in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 16 and 17, that two loaves are to be baked with leaven. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are first fruits unto the Lord. What's the spiritual meaning and application of these things? The two wave loaves are holy to the God of Israel. Continuing on in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 20 and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest so the two loaves baked with leaven are holy to the Lord the two wave loaves are representative of us and believers in Yeshua as the Messiah they're going to represent the nation of Israel as well Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 it says speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and saying to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So the people of the God of Israel are to be holy unto him. This was holy unto the Lord, and it was referred to as first fruits. Israel is first fruits of the God of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 2 and 3. Go 
one cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness under the Lord, in the first fruits of his increase. Israel is called first fruit. Jacob is a witness of the God of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 and verse 10, it is written, But now thus says the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. Jacob, you are my witnesses. Jacob witnesses. So Jacob is plural. That's because Jacob got divided up into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Both are called to be his witnesses. The people who identify with faith and belief in the God of Israel today, the world calls them Judaism and Christianity. We are called to be his witnesses. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Joshua, who was from the tribe of Ephraim, and Caleb from the tribe of Judah, are witnesses of the God of Israel. Numbers chapter 13, verse 6 and verse 8. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and Numbers 13, verse 8. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Joshua, the son of Nun. Israel is called an olive tree. The Lord God called your name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit, with the noise of a great tumult. He has kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. For the Lord of hosts that planted you has pronounced evil against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Therefore, there is a natural olive tree who is referred to as the house of Jacob that were at Mount Sinai. This natural olive tree is personified visibly in the earth today as being associated with the Jewish people. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. The redeemed olive tree in Messiah is also referred to as the house of Jacob. In Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33 it says, He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Who is Messiah ruling and reigning over? His body, his redeemed people. And what is the name of his body? It's called here. He's reigning over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So in Messiah, we are the redeemed house of Jacob. So there's a literal house of Jacob. There's a redeemed house of Jacob. We are called to be his witnesses. And that's why there were two loaves baked with leaven. The two loaves represent the natural house of Jacob, the redeemed house of Jacob. The two wave loaves represent Jacob, who was his witnesses, Ephraim and Judah. So they're baked with leaven because within the covenant family of the God of Israel, there still exists sin. Leaven represents sin. So these are two loaves baked. They go through the refining process of the God of Israel, but they still contain leaven. And that being the case, they are still holy unto him and they are still his first fruits people. So that's the meaning of the spiritual application to the verse that we read earlier that mentions this. The minha, which is the meat or the meal offering, was to be made upon fire. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 16 and 18. Even unto the morrow after 
the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire. So this mincha, this meat or meal offering, is to be done as an offering made by fire. Once again, fire is a reference to a refining work that the God of Israel does in our lives, and he does this refining work through the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3 verse 16 says, John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What happened in Acts chapter 2 verse 3? There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13 it says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7, That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Yeshua HaMashiach. When celebrating the festival or the feast of Shavuot, you are to come to the feast and bring offerings and you're not to come before the God of Israel empty-handed. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 16 and 17 it is written, Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he has given you. What's the spiritual meaning of this? Believers in Messiah are to give to the kingdom of the God of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth. Why does he give you power to get wealth? That he may establish his covenant for the work of his kingdom, which he swear unto your fathers as it is this day. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, that is earthly needs, shall be added unto you. Believers in the Messiah are to give to the kingdom as we can see that Rav Shaul or the Apostle Paul instructed in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Continuing on in Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, as it is written, He has dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruit of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. The celebration of Shavuot, or the Feast of Pentecost, is a commandment 
commandment or a statute forever. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 16. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days. And you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 21. That it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. The spiritual meaning is that the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. The Holy Spirit was given in the renewed covenant to help us to follow the commandments of the God of Israel. And John chapter 14 verses 16 and 17 says, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not neither knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. This is going to conclude our teaching on the various themes of Shavuot or the Feast of Pentecost. And in examining the various themes we understand that we're being told that we are on a journey out of Egypt which is a type of the world in the world system and the God of Israel is redeeming us by putting the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost and then when we come out of Egypt we're supposed to count seven complete weeks and ultimately when the God of Israel brings us out he wants us to serve him on Mount Sinai the counting is of an omer and the omer represents us as believers in the Messiah who have come out of Egypt and in order to meet God on the mountain we have to go through the same things that that omer went through where it was beaten which represents humility it was parched with fire which represents refinement and we have to get the sin out of our lives which is how it was tossed to the wind and it was ground into fine flour and we have to be that fine flour we have to be white we have to come before him as a sanctified people to meet with him and then it went through 13 sieves which represents unity we come and we love the God of Israel and we love the brethren and so as we come out of Egypt we go through a spiritual growth process of maturity that the God of Israel desires of his people this counting of the Omer was a controversy in the first century and it still is a controversy today whereas the interpretation is the morrow after the Sabbath there were various sects there are those today that says the morrow after the Sabbath is a reference to the weekly Sabbath is when you start counting. If this is done, then you're always going to celebrate Shavuot on Sunday. However, the rabbis interpret that the counting begins the day following the first day of unleavened bread or Nisan or Aviv 15. So the counting starts on Aviv 16. So what else is associated with this season, this festival, is that a marriage took place at Mount Sinai, a betrothal was made at Mount Sinai. The commandments were given to the redeemed people of God at Mount Sinai. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you and will help you to understand some of the themes that are associated with celebrating the festival of Shavuot. Well, that's going to conclude part three of the series on the subject, The Themes of the Feast of Shavuot 
or Pentecost. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts in order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others. We are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.